0: Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a pleasure to see you all on this beautiful tubishvat, this Rosh Hashanah Le the Rosh Hashanah of trees. So we're gonna to talk today, although we usually normally talk about the parsha, today we're gonna to talk a little bit more about tubishvat, but hopefully we are going to connect it to the parsha as well. I would not want to deprive you of anything related to the parsha, so you should have what to say about the Shabbos table. Uh, before I get started, I want to, first of all, thank all of you for coming out here. It's a uh, deeply appreciated that we are now about 10 months into COVID and you guys are constantly, you are the faithful, you are the reliable, you're here every week, and I appreciate you for coming out. I also give a special shout out to anybody who has their camera on. You don't have to have your camera on, but if you do, we appreciate it even more because it makes the, feel, the whole class feel like more of a class, so I want to say thank you to all of you. I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit. They are the ones who enable all this Torah learning by employing me and uh, giving us this opportunity to be together. And God willing, once again, when we will stop this pandemic, we'll have our Lunch and Learns together and we'll be able to have um, you know tuna fish, egg salad, and outsized dessert uh, portions. And then I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. And it's got over 100,000 hours of classes uh, last year in 2021, over 10 Million hours of Torah was listened to, watched, downloaded, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is just incredible. Just incredible. So, like if you think about the numbers, we're talking about that's bigger than any yeshiva in the world. They are incredible and we appreciate them. This is obviously going to be on Torah anytime. It also can be found at partnersdetroit.org/slash learn. All right. Partnersdetroit.org slash learn. Okay, let us get down to it. Let's talk about tubishvat. So tubishvat is the, the Rosh Hashanah for the trees. So I'm not sure, here's my question. Do trees dip their own children into honey and take a bright? Dip the apple in the honey break, make a bracha loud and clear, right? So we just came back from family vacation. We just came back from family vacation. And in our family, we have a rule that when we're on vacation, we have certain rules that we live by. So when we're having a really good time, I will call out, I'll say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What is rule number one? And my kids will all yell out, always thank Hashem. And I'm like, when? they like, always. I'm like, what? they like, thank Hashem. So we always like that. And, and, and we do that throughout the vacation many times a day, usually. When we're having a good time, I want my kids to remember this is an amazing opportunity and we should be appreciative for it. So we're constantly saying, always thank Hashem. Rule number two is always thank your parents. When? Always, of course. Always thank your parents. Rule number three is... Those who complain miss out. What do they miss out on? Almost everything. And the rule number four is no fighting. When? Never. And then somehow, for some reason, there's four rules. But then we go from rule number four to rule number seven. And rule number seven is no eating peoples. That's just a family thing. If you ever see my kids, you say to them, what's rule number seven? They will tell you very proudly that rule number seven is no eating peoples. So we don't eat people. My question is, is like on a Rosh Hashanah for trees, do the trees dip apples in honey and eat the apples and make a blessing that they should have a sweet new year? Or would that be considered like a form of like agrarian cannibalism, right? Like tree cannibalism? If a tree eats an apple, right? So I don't think that they dip an apple in the honey. Maybe I, I, what, what do they do? Like what, what exactly are they doing? Are they getting together? Are they make New Year New New Year's resolutions. Like this year, I'm going to uh, bear more fruit. This year, I'm going to. Slim down, no more, less bark, more more uh, more substance. Yeah, I, what what does that even mean? That it's a rushana for trees, and what are we supposed to learn from it? Now, what I'm, I'm going to share with you guys tonight today is is really really exciting. I'm excited to share it with you. It's an idea that comes from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. It was one of the great great leaders of Torah Judaism in America. And um, but but let's first get down to the brass tacks for a moment and understanding what it means when we say that Tu B'Shvat is Rosh Hashanah for trees. Okay, so there is a concept called tithing. Tithing means giving 10% of your income to charity. I'm a huge, gigantic fan of tithing. Um, I encourage people to do it all the time. I believe that is your best investment strategy. Right. Your investment strategy should have nothing to do with GameStop or AMC. If you guys are following the news right now, your investment strategy should have nothing to do with GameStop or or, or AMC. Your investment strategy should have very little to do with Bitcoin. Your investment strategy should mostly be based about the most important, most fundamental rule of your investment strategy is give your tithe. Now, again, provided that you can, obviously, if a person's on a fixed income and they're only making, let's say, $1,000 a month, and that's not really enough to even cover the bills, they're not required to give the the tithe. However, again, provided that you could afford to give 10% of your income to charity, that is my biggest investment strategy to you in the world. Why? Because God says, God says, in all areas of life, you're not allowed to test God, right? You're not allowed to say, okay, God, I'm going to this week... I'm going to learn an extra five hours of Torah. And I want you to let the, uh, the Buccaneers win one Super Bowl so that the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, gets one more Super Bowl. He's too old. He's 43. He's not playing next year, probably. Let him get one more Super Bowl before he goes off into the distance. God, please. And I will, I'll, I'll, I'll learn five extra hours of Torah. You, you can't play that game with God. God is not a jukebox. You don't deposit whatever mitzvah you want and ask for whatever outcome you want, right? That's not how it works. But the Torah does say, here's the one place where God says, it's a little bit like a jukebox. God says, Hashem says, please, please test me with this, says the Lord. Bring all the tithe to the house, to the storage house. Now, in those days, the tithes were mostly uh, agrarian products, right? So they were like your oil, your grain, your your, your wine, let me make a quick bracha. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam wow. Cinnamon cinnamon flavored tea. It's like, like a Red hot. If you remember Red hot from Ferrara Pan Company. Mm. Anyway, so God says, test me, please, says the Lord. Bring all your tithe to the storage house and there will be food in my house to give to the poor. Right? Via Taraf Babasi. And Hashem says, and I will open to you the, the, the windows of the heavens. I'll just like the, the, the floodlight, the, the, the uh, what do you call it? The, the, um, uh, the <laughs> hi, Saffron, you're going to have to help me with this word over here. The, the uh, windows in the roof. <laughs> what are they called? Anyway, all right, anyone, anyone can put that in the chat box, but there's a word skylights, the skylights, right? God says, "I'm going to open up those skylights and I'm going to, I'm going to rain down upon you, incredible, incredible blessing." Very kosi bracha audibly die, and I will rain down upon you blessing until you're screaming enough, enough. So God says again. It's very interesting. There's very few times in the Torah that God says please. Right? We actually talked about this this past Shabbos with my family around the Shabbos table because in the last week's Torah portion, Hashem does say please when Hashem tells Moshe to ask the Jewish people. To ask the Egyptians for all sorts of valuable stuff as they're leaving, the language Hashem says is, uh, please, please ask the Jewish people to, to go and, 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 and empty out Egypt from all their, their belongings, right? So that's an example of Hashem saying please. God doesn't often say please, right? He's usually doing things for our benefit. But here, God says, please test me, says Hashem. Bihanuni please test me with this, says God. You give the miser, I will hook you up with the income. I will give you so much money that you will be screaming enough, right? So that's why I say the most important investment strategy you could possibly have is give your tithe. Make sure you, make sure you watch your tithe like a hawk, right? You want to be fiscally responsible it's not about making sure you mark down every single dollar you spend at the grocery store although that might be a good idea to keep track of your expenditures to keep track of your of your income but if you want the best 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 investment advice possible it's the one that god gives us which is you give charity give your tithe be very very careful about it the mission and ethics of our fathers excuse me uh, the mission on ethics of our Fathers says that you should not give your tithing by estimation, which means don't say, yeah, I probably make this year about $50,000, so I'll, be, I'll give around $5,000 in charity. There's no arounds. You want to watch that like a hawk. I've got a spreadsheet that I've been keeping since 2011, and I literally, I, I, I go through all my my bank account, and I make sure I capture every bit of money that came in, and I make sure to capture all the money that I give out, and I try to track it as carefully as possible because the Mishnah and ethics of our father says, do not give your tithe by estimation. You want to be very, very, very careful about this. So God says, if you give your tithe, I'll make you rich. And the Mishnah says, you want to make sure that you give your tithe, not by estimation, but by actual real dollars. So track it and do it right. And you'll see great success. Now, so let's go back to Rosh Hashanah, the, the Rosh Hashanah for trees. So how does this work? What exactly does it mean when we say that today is the Rush of retreat? So the way it works was like this: there's something called a fiscal year, right? So a fiscal year is basically when you're when you're, you're um, when, when you measure everything economic by, right? So most people go by a regular standard calendar year as a fiscal year, right? So your fiscal year would generally be like for most individuals, it's like you know, January 1 through, through, through December 31, but you'll have states or companies that will decide for whatever reason to have a different fiscal year. Often other people are crunched at certain times. Like for example, the state of Michigan, the fiscal year is 10-1, right? October 1 through September 30, right? That's the Michigan fiscal year. So you have different fiscal years. And based on when your fiscal year is, is when you're gonna determine your taxation. Okay, now, again, the average American individual, your fiscal year ends on December 31, and you can give your taxes until April 15th, okay? Now, that means that by April 15, you better give all your taxes for 2020, or else you're liable to face penalties and, and interest charge and all that kind of jazz. Now, when it comes time to giving tithe on the trees, on the products of the trees... The Rosh Hashanah, the fiscal year starts and stops on Tubishvat. So today, B'Shvat is the n- new fiscal year. Any fruits that come out on the tree after today are tithed as 5781 fruits. Any fruits that came out on the tree until yesterday were 5780 oh fruits. And the difference is is that you're supposed to tithe this year's product with this year's product, and you're supposed to make sure you get all your tithe out before the end of the fiscal year. So if you were a farmer living in Israel, okay? If you were a farmer living in Israel right now, and most of your fruits would not have bloomed yet, but if you had a few fruit that bloomed, you'd probably wanna mark them so that you would know these are 5780 fruits. And then furthermore, you would make sure to calculate all your tithing before yesterday, This way, when the new year starts, you've already finished giving all of your tithe. Okay, now, that is the significance of today being the Rosh Hashanah for for trees, okay? That's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah, which talks about four different Rosh Hashanahs, and one of them is Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanos, which is today the Rosh Hashanah of trees. The Mishnah explains that the tithing of the fruits of the tree is based on a fiscal year that starts on Tuba Shvat and ends on the 14th of Shvat a year later. Now, <clears throat> raise your hand if you are a cultivator of trees. Nobody? Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, we got a couple cultivators here. Really? Tell me more about this. <laughs> Feel free to put in the chat box about the trees that you cultivate. I didn't know that, but that's good to know. Okay, we got a few cultivators here. The vast majority of us are not cultivating trees. So what is, what is the significance of Rosh Hashanah for trees for us? So what I want to share with you, again, is an idea posited by Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was one of the greatest, probably the greatest American halachist of all time, right? Meaning in terms of like uh, American rabbis who gave over like Jewish law. Sorry, hold on, I'm just trying to uh, adjust my seat. Uh, he was probably the most prominent of all of those, and uh, he wrote a massive uh, uh, masterwork of halacha called the Igros Moshe, the letters of Moshe, and it contains questions on every area of modern living, and literally each answer, it's amazing to watch how Rav Moshe Feinstein takes a question and takes it apart. It is really, really, really phenomenal to see how he takes a question and he breaks it down, starting with the Chumash, through the Mishnah, and the Gemara, and the and the early commentators and the later commentators in the Shulchan Aruch and will come to his answer. Now, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein also wrote on the Torah in a book called Darash Moshe, and in the Darash Mosheb, he also wrote uh, ideas on the holidays. So I want to share with you what Rabbi Moshe Feinstein writes about uh, Tu and its significance for us modern Jews living in America today who are not cultivators of fruit, And by the way, call a vote to Heidi Jacobson who planted crimson king maple, Bradford pear pear, and mulberry trees. Although those mulberry trees are definitely gonna leave some stains all over your backyard. And we see we got Sherry Orbach here who's got figs and Chinese oranges. Kinahara, I'm glad to see we got a couple cultivators over here. Okay, good, good. Now, let's talk about economic theories. Let's talk about economic theories. We've got two primary economic poles, right? When I say poles, I mean like North Pole, South Pole, right? We got polarity over here. On one end is socialism, right? Of which communism is a form. On the other end, we've got capitalism, right? Let's basically define the terms and then we'll break it down and try to understand what is America today? What are most countries? Socialism in its most most basic um, um, level is where everything is owned by the whole society. We all own everything together and therefore everybody contributes according to their abilities and everybody receives according to their needs. Sounds so beautiful, right? Why should the doctor make more money than the janitor It should be everybody put in the best work you can put in. And then we'll give everybody according to their needs. We'll collect all the money and everything will be owned by the state. Nothing should be private property. What's private property, right? Why should you own anything, right? Why should you own anything? Let everything be owned by the state. Let the state determine the means of production. Let the state determine the pricing of all products. And this way, what the state will make sure is that everybody is taken care of. What do we have right now in America? We have such a wealth gap, such a prosperity gap. There are people who are worth hundreds of billions or more than hundreds of billions. although Elon Musk is getting close to hundreds. He's around 180, 190, I don't know what his his value, his net worth goes up and down so fast cuz Tesla itself is like a wild roller coaster ride. You know, yesterday, two days ago it was like at 900. Today it's at 830. Like so his his net worth is going up all the time, but But today, Elon Musk is the wealthiest man in the world. He's worth about $180 billion. And then there are people who are in debt. And there are people who are suffering from poverty. So why should we have such wealth gaps? We should take care of everybody. Let the the government determine the means of production. Let's decide what we need. Do we need more couches? Do we need more fruits and vegetables? Do we need more factories built? Do we need more clothing and coats produced? And let's make sure that we assign jobs to everybody so that they can maximize their benefit to the great society. And then the government will collect all the stuff that's produced. And the government will give everybody equal shares. And everybody will be taken care of beautifully and equally. Okay, That's socialism. Now, of course, if you read the Communist Manifesto, which if you have the time for it, go for it. If you don't have the time for it, don't worry. its success as a system has not been highly well documented but in the, the communist manifesto Karl Marx does recognize that it's going to require a little bit of uh state control like uh, a little bit of like you know force in the beginning because people are not going to be willing to part with their stuff right but eventually we're going to get to such a beautiful place in society where there'll be no mean no need for police No need for an army because everyone's going to be so kumbaya. Kumbaya will rule the land, right? Kumbaya will rule throughout the land. And everyone, we wake up in the morning and say namaste and just, just give gladly to their neighbors. And it's going to be just this beautiful, beautiful world. And there won't even be a need for the military and for police anymore because everybody's going to be so awesomely kind and giving and caring. And everyone's going to be treated equally and with equal respect and equal stuff. And the world's going to be beautiful. Okay, that is socialism. And then you have capitalism. Capitalism says, you know who's in charge of you and your money? You, you wanna make money? Go work hard. You wanna charge more for your products? Charge more for your products. You don't wanna, you wanna produce uh, corn? Produce corn. You wanna build couches? Build couches. What, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. And if it sells well, do it more. And if you can raise the prices and people still pay it, charge more. And if you can't, don't. If you charge more for your couches and suddenly people stop buying, you're gonna lower your prices on your couches. Let the market figure it all out, right? We want people to be incentivized to work hard and to make money. And therefore we're gonna give everybody the ability and the autonomy to do whatever they want. Amazing. Now. Let's talk about the pros and cons of each one of these systems. Now, of course, you can go to, uh, you can go to colleges where they're gonna tell you, um, you can go to colleges, which I'm sure they'll give you all their opinions. And being that you have a lot of um, socialism is, is very in vogue right now. You might get a little bit more uh, socialist, happy professors in college, but let's talk about the pros and the cons for real. Let's talk about the pros and cons of each system. So let's first talk about the pros of socialism and then the cons of socialism. The pros of socialism is it's so beautiful. Everybody gets taken care of. Everybody gets taken care of equally. Everybody gets dignity. Everybody gets care. Everybody gets top-notch healthcare and for free. And everybody gets a cell phone and for free. And everybody gets housing and for free. The state will take care of everybody. They're gonna give you everything. They're gonna give you food and health care and beautiful houses and vacation dachas and whatever you need, all you need to do is just work hard and contribute to the system. Isn't that beautiful? And everybody gets treated equally. And There's no poor people at all because the state makes sure that everybody is taken care of. Isn't that amazing? That's the beautiful part of socialism. The challenge of socialism is Remember we said that little detail that Karl Marx talked about, like in order to get there, people are not gonna be willing to give up their guns, sorry, their their, their stuff. And you're gonna have to start with a little bit of force. You're gonna have to bring the army in and then the army is gonna seize the power from the wealthy, from the bourgeoisie. The army is gonna come in and seize the power and then they're gonna give it to everybody equally and then all will be happy. The problem is sometimes when people grab power from others, believe it or not, they don't give it back to the masses. I know it sounds weird, because it makes sense that if you and your army come and take everything away from everybody, that you would then give it back to everybody equally. But sometimes, believe it or not, people are selfish and they've got now all this stuff because they seized it from everybody else. And maybe they don't end up giving it to everybody equally. As a matter of fact, from a historical perspective, every single time in the history of mankind that socialism has been attempted it has failed because as soon as the people grab the stuff from everybody else they end up giving it to their friends and not to the people and then you end up having a very 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 powerful party the communist party and the rest of the people suffer tremendously and on top of that a very other important idea that i want to share give me one second one other very important idea is that if I am going to make the same amount no matter what I do, it sort of takes away my um, incentive to work really hard, right? If I'm going to make the same amount of money anyway, no matter what I do, then maybe I don't need to work so hard, right? Why do I got to put so much effort in if I'm going to get the same amount, whether I'm a doctor? Why go to medical school for eight for four years and then residency and fellowship and barely get any sleep and all that you know, stress if I can make the same amount of money being a janitor? So the reality is that people are not incentivized to work hard. And sure enough, like I said, you can look at any socialist country in the history of mankind. So we have Russia, of course, we have uh, Venezuela, we've we've got Cuba, and all these countries are countries where people suffer mass deprivation. Because when the government comes and takes stuff away from you, they don't always necessarily give it back as they promised originally. And furthermore, people just don't have the incentive to go to work and to work hard and to make money because at the end of the day, whatever they work hard is going to be taken away from them anyway. Okay, that is the problem. And by the way, the kibbutzes was the very best system of communism ever in the history of mankind because it was voluntary, right? You didn't have to join a kibbutz. If you wanted, you could have gone to... uh, to a, a moshav which was not a socialist type of place so the kibbutz system was the very best form of communism ever of course it wasn't communism because you had nobody with guns taking away anybody's stuff people had to willingly decide to go to the kibbutz and be part of it and by the way the kibbutz system at the end of the day failed too right today there are almost no kibbutz left in israel people said i don't want to work hard and yelish over there and yankee over there is not working hard and they ended up leaving the kibbutzes. And today there's almost no kibbutzim left in the country of Israel, period. So it didn't work even there, even in, in a communist system with no guns of voluntary communism. When people were originally fired up by it, they're like, yeah, let's do kibbutzes. And then they're like, uh, no, let's not do kibbutzes. And the kids were like, I'm out of here, mom, dad. I don't want to work really hard and then give all my money and all my wages and all my earnings to the kibbutz. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to go make a startup company. I'm going to go live in Tel Aviv. I'm going to keep my own, my own money. So, the kibbutz system ultimately failed. Now, that's the problem with socialism. When you have to take stuff away from other people by gunpoint, okay, and then to try to redistribute it equally, it just doesn't work out. Okay, let's talk about capitalism. What's the problem with capitalism? Well, if you want to really talk about the problems of capitalism, what you could look at is the robber barons or the, uh, you know, like the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts and those times. When people, they created such incredible greed, right? Greed is good, there was such incredible greed where they were literally s- like squeezing the little guy to the point where there was no, there was no fairness to workers and in and, 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 and its rawest form of ca- capitalism, people could be so concerned with their own money and their own earnings and so concerned with making more dollars and more dollars that they end up really hurting everybody else around them. So that's a challenge that you could have with extreme capitalism is that I want, for me, more money, more money, more money, more money, and in doing so, I end up hurting other people. Okay, now, um, what's the Torah position? Okay, what is the Torah position? How does the Torah look at, what does the Torah advocate? Socialism, capitalism? So I'll tell you this much. The Torah is a beautiful hybrid, a beautiful, beautiful hybrid. It's called we're going to call it moral capitalism on one hand the torah is capitalist the torah says when you eat the handiwork of your hands praiseworthy are you and good for you right i.e it's good make money work hard it's a good thing right make money work hard it's a good thing right however the torah also recognizes that there are certain people who are unfortunate who won't necessarily be able to take care of themselves. People who are uh, a widow or orphans who are unable to take care of themselves. So what do we do for them? Do we not care about them? Do we not provide for them? Are they gonna be fall by the wayside when we're so busy collecting our money? So the Torah says, no, 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 no. There's gonna be all kinds of mitzvahs in the Torah to give money to the poor. Everything from the tithe, which we just spoke about. Now let's just, let's think about a guy who owns a, a piece of land in Israel. And he has, a, he has a vineyard on it, right? So we know some of the best wine in the world comes from Israel. Hold on a second. I just noticed that the battery may be dying on the camcorder. I'm going to see if there's a way to plug it in. I believe there is. Stay with me here, guys. Don't turn that dial. We're just getting to the perfect economic system. Don't go anywhere. Or the perfect economic system may be denied to the whole wide world. Hold on a second. Here we go. Yeah. Oh no. I just shut it off. Let's turn that back on. Let's turn that puppy back on. Sorry guys. Okay. Sorry, guys. Okay, Um, Yeah. So what is the proper economic system? So the problem with capitalism, we're saying, is that people can be greedy and they don't take care of people. The Torah says, work hard, make lots of money and then give a lot of it away. So if you own a vineyard in Israel and you are right now ready to harvest. So let's think of the things that you have to do. Number one, you have a mitzvah called parrot and ololos, which basically means that you've got to leave behind any non-fully formed um, grape uh, clusters that you find. So you're going through your vine, your vineyard, and you're harvesting. So any clusters that are not fully formed, you got to leave behind for the poor. And then if you by mistake pass by a row and you forgot some grapes behind, you generally have to leave those behind as well. You also have to leave behind an entire corner of your field for the poor. And on top of that, you've got to give Truma to the Kohen, which is about 2%. Then you've got to give 10% to the Levite and another 10% for Jewish education. That was Jewish education, basically. And then another 10% went to to the poor, depending on the year. Sometimes it went to you and you have to eat in Jerusalem. So by the time you finish your your harvest, you are giving away some 25, 30% of your stuff. However, and here is a very, very important component. Nobody could come with a gun and take away your stuff. You have to be motivated to do the right thing. And you've got to give the charity yourself. No one is coming with a gun to take away your stuff. The Torah said, we don't want a society in which people are going to forcefully take stuff away from people because that creates a lot of abuse of power. So Hashem says, here's what I want you to do. The Torah economic system, by all means, work hard, make lots of money. And then when you do, take huge percentages of your money and make sure you're taking care of other people. Is anybody going to come at you with a gun to make sure that you do that? Absolutely not. And if you don't do it, you're just going to have to live with the fact that you're being immoral. And maybe you won't see as much blessing from God. But no one's coming to take it away from you. So this is the best of both worlds. This is the best of both worlds. Because on one hand, people have an incentive to work hard because they have the ability to work hard and make more money. It's not like no matter how hard you work, you're just gonna make the same amount as the guy next door to you who's sitting and watching Netflix all day, right? And on top of that, the people who are at the bottom uh, stratification of society, people who are a widow, an orphan, are taken care of beautifully, beautifully. And society works amazingly well moral capitalism go out make lots of money and then make sure you're giving your fair share and we're not going to give anybody guns to take away your fair share because when they do they may end up taking away way more than their fair share and they may give it to their cronies so that is the system called moral capitalism it's beautiful and it works how do i know it works because there's no society in the world and let me say this very carefully there is no society in the world that takes care of its members better than the Torah living society. Right? The Torah society is a society that's living according to the, the system of the Torah. And there is no, I'm mean, going I could say it, I could say it a hundred times. There is no society in the world that takes better care of its people than a Torah-based society. First of all, the Torah society. Besides having, the fact that we have Hatzalah, for example, right? Volunteer emergency emergency medical services, right? Anywhere where the, the regular local medical services are not adequate. We just build our own medical services. The fact that we have Chaverim, if, you're, if, you're, if your car breaks down or you need it, you locked your keys in your car, who do you call? You call Chaverim, and they'll come out and they'll fix your flat or they'll get you into your car. We have it in Detroit. The fact that we have hundreds of Gemachim. In Detroit, we don't have hundreds because it's a small Jewish community, right? But like if you open up a, t- a telephone book from Jerusalem, I have one in my house that has like 80 pages worth of Gemachim. Gemachim are all little home based organizations giving away stuff for free. Someone in your family got hurt and they need crutches? Go to the Gemach with medical devices. They'll give you crutches. Or if somebody needs a wheelchair, they'll give you wheelchairs. You need tables for a simcha? Don't rent them, just borrow them. You need chairs, you don't need to rent them from a rental supply company, borrow them from the gamach. You need flower pieces, Cent- you know, centerpieces for your wedding, beautiful, beautiful centerpieces, there's a gemach for that. You need wedding gowns, don't spend $900, $2,000, go to the gemach. as long as you pay for alterations and cleaning, you got it for free. You need gowns for the siblings of the kala and the chassin, the- because there's eight siblings, whatever, on both sides. There's so many. You got to get the right colors. they all got to be the same. Don't make custom and don't buy expensive Go to the gemach; They'll give it to you. We have so many soup kitchens and organizations like Yad Ezra. And in Israel, Yad Eliezer. And there's literally in Israel, there's hundreds of organizations giving out food packages to those who are in need. If you have a baby in the Torah community, for a month you get food dropped off on your door every night for dinner. This is a society, who's forcing anybody to do this? Did anybody come with a gun to my head and say, Lady, someone on your block just had a baby. You're You're gonna bring them dinner on Wednesday or else, or else I'm coming back. I know where you live. If you don't make dinner for the cones on Wednesday night, I'm gonna slash your tires and break all your windows. No. Nobody's doing that, we're just, because the Torah said we should take care of each other. So we take care of each other. We provide for our medical needs, for our physical needs, for our emotional needs. That is moral capitalism. And we give charity in unprecedented numbers with the exception of the Mormon community where if you don't give 10%, you're kicked out of the church. There is no higher society in terms of percentage of, of, of income giving than Torah Jews. Why? Is anybody putting a gun to our head? No, because God said so. So we have a Torah system called moral capitalism. Now, by the way, in America, we have a hybrid for sure. For sure we have a hybrid system. And actually, it leads to so much insanity. Like, it actually, I really believe America, by trying to... to Blend and America for sure does not have a, a, a it's, it's not a pure socialist or a pure capitalist, right? America has all sorts of rules, financial regulations, right? Um, that will not allow you to do many, many things. Um, um on, on the same token, uh, they also don't give you everything. So, like, America, I mean, look at look at drug, look at drug, drug prices. I don't know if you guys saw what happened right now, but like, there was, a, there was an executive order from the previous president that basically kept insulin prices down. Um, and we were paying something similar to what Canadians were paying, which was like somewhere between 40 and $80 um, for insulin. And now there was an executive order that just came out and they just, they stopped that. And now insulin prices have shot up to like the 800, range. Right? It, it's out of control. I mean, but it's all because of rules and regulations about what, meaning insulin is not that expensive to actually produce and to put out, but we have so much Complications and regulations, and like, let's take whatever. I we can go through a lot of. I can go through a lot of examples of how America is definitely not a, a pure capitalist society. We have so many rules and regulations, um, and it's also not a pure socialist society, right? They're not taking away all your stuff. Um, you know, certain states are obviously taking away at certain points. I mean, if you live in California, your effective tax rate, if you're a high earning person, is more than fifty percent, which is why rich people are leaving California and New York in droves and moving to Florida and Texas, but. Um, We are not a pure either, but we don't have moral capitalism in America at all. As a matter of fact, America lately has been moving more towards government will take care of people, and because of that, charity has been going down in America, right? We've been giving less charity. As American people, we're giving less charity. The more the government says, let me take care of everybody, then people say, okay, I don't need to take care of Think about all the hospitals, right? All the hospitals you think of, almost all of them have some sort of religious name: St. Joe, St. Francis, you know, whatever it is. Because it was all charitable charitable organizations that were setting up the hospitals to take care of people who are sick. But now we see the government says we'll take care of everything. We'll just take care of everything. Just put it all on our bill. Don't worry, we can print more money, right? Why not? Just print. Here we go, right? So uh, I can I can go on for a long I can go on for a long time about the American system, but. just put it this way it's not pure capitalism and it's not pure socialism but sometimes we get the worst of both (laughs) anyway so the torah system is moral capitalism and it works incredibly well as we can still see even today even today when we are living in america we're living in israel we're living in countries that have you know robust taxation we still give so much of our income to charity we still have so many organizations in every city that there's a large jewish population, we're giving so much of our money away to make sure that we're taking care of our brethren in need. It's an incredibly beautiful thing about the Jewish people. Now, the rule of moral capitalism is nobody is coming to take your stuff with a gun. So how do we make sure that we actually give our our responsibilities? No, we don't. But morally, you know that until you've given your charity, it's not really your money yet. I was in Shanghai one time um, I was there for a, a safer Torah dedication, and while I was there, uh, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of capitalist Jews in Shanghai, right? A lot of people there to make money, a lot, a lot of people from all stripes and all backgrounds. Chabad, uh, Shabbos in Chabad is Shanghai. There's, there's two in Shanghai. There's one in Pudong and one in Pushi. Pudong is like Manhattan, and Pushi is like the rest of New York, sort of. Um, so I was in Chabad of Pudong for Shabbos there, and It was amazing. There was, I would say, probably ten languages being spoken in the Chabad there. There was businessmen there from France and Israel and Russia and uh, Brazil, that's Portu- Portuguese and Spain and France and America. I mean, they were from all over the world. It was amazing. It was amazing. From you know, so. Um, I'm, I'm, I was like, you know, I'm just like a rabbi. These guys are all there, got factories going on and they're talking big business deals all the time. So during the mealtime, I was just like kind of sitting quietly. Believe it or not, I can do that. It's like a weird skill of mine. Believe it or not, it exists that I can be quiet. <laughs> so I was just kind of sitting quietly during the meals and I'm listening to everybody talk about their business deals and their factories and this and that. Um, so they, um, there, there was two Hasidic Jews there. And they were both telling over their philosophies of money, okay? So the first guy says, the way I see money is that it's like I am a a financial planner. And God says, I want to invest with you. And the return I want to see on my investment is 10% a year. Now, imagine you have a financial planner with Raymond James or Merrill Lynch or Wells Fargo or whatever it is. And you set a number you want to see. Like, you set your number with your guy you're like, look, we'd like to see 8% a year, or 6% a year, or 9% a year, whatever it is that you set when you give the guy money. Let's say you set that number and he's meeting his marks every time, right? He's hitting his marks. What are you going to do? You're going to keep giving him money because he's doing exactly what you expected him. So you're going to keep investing with him more and more and more. Hence the whole Bernie Madoff thing. Right? He was giving people an exact percentage all the time. So people kept investing more and more and more with him. Of course, that was a disaster. But the bottom line is, if you had a financial planner who was working with you and you had a set goal that you want to hit with him and he kept meeting his targets, you would keep investing with him. So this guy was saying, God is the same way. God invests in various people. And he says, I want to see 10% returns on my money. So I'm going to give you $100,000 this year. I want to see $10,000 given to charity. And if you do that, then I'll keep investing more with you. The next year, I'll give you $200,000. The next year, I'll give you $300,000, and so on and so forth. So I was like, wow, that sounds good. All right, I like that. I like that. I like that. Then the next guy says, I'll tell you uh, the way I see it is different. I see it like I'm a bank. I'm a bank. And God deposits his money with me, because it's his money. God is... The, the gold is mine and the silver is mine, says the Lord. Right. So... All the money belongs to God. He deposits it in my account so I can watch it for him. And he tells me, here's how I want you to distribute it. I want you to give 10% to the poor, to Jewish education, to Yad Ezra, whatever it is. And then you could keep 90% for expenses. You could keep 90% for expenses. where Moshe Feinstein says, that's how we look at it. Hashem gives you all this wealth and all the success. But until you take care of your responsibilities, you can't enjoy it because you still owe somebody on that. That's not really fully your money. It's not really fully your money because you still owe. You were blessed and you still owe giving back. And you haven't given back yet so what happens on Tu remember Tu is the fiscal year so you got to make sure you take all the tithe that you owe and you've got to give it out right before Tu so yesterday i was making sure all the fruits i had from fiscal year 5780 i need to make sure to get rid of it and to give it not get rid of it give it to charity Comes to Bishvat when I've taken care of all my responsibilities and I've given all the type that I was supposed to give. Comes to Bishvat, and I'm like, "Whoo!" now the rest of the money is mine. Now I can really enjoy the fruits of my labor because I've given everything I'm supposed to give to who I'm supposed to give it to. You understand the beauty of what Tubishvat is all about? Tubishvat is the day that you can eat your grapes and your pomegranates and your figs and your dates and your olives. And your mangoes and your papayas and your Chinese cherries and your pomelos. And you could eat them with gusto and enjoyment because now every little bit that you enjoy, and this, by the way, is the buxer. My brother had some buxer. You guys remember buxer, the carob? This food should be illegal, right? Ah, 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 Mm. ah. Here we go. I can enjoy this buxer. Why? Because I gave my tithe. Because I took care of my responsibilities. Because I did what I was supposed to do. God says, "I just, I, I trust you to be moral. I'm going to give this society incredible wealth. <clears throat> I'm going to, tr- I'm going to just trust them to be moral with it. And that's what we need to be. And when we are, mm. <laughs> I hope I don't have a carob tree grow on me. Mm. When you act in a moral way. Then you have the incredible pleasure of enjoying what you have because you know that you've shared and you've taken care of all your responsibilities first. That's the joy of tubeshvat. The joy of tubeshvat is the person who is able to enjoy the fruits of his labor because he's given of all of his blessings appropriately to everybody else first. Okay, so that is, my friends, the idea of tubeshvat, according to Ramosha Feinstein. It's the day that we can enjoy our wealth. Now, by by the way, how do I relate that to today, right? Obviously, today, we already went through this. We're not mostly farmers. But today, it's the same concept. It's the same concept, just that instead of it being farmland and crops that you're harvesting, it's with charitable donations. Learn to savor the pleasure of money in your bank account that has already been Taken care of, i.e. that all your responsibilities were taken care of. There's something so beautiful. That's now it's your money. You've done everything you're supposed to do with it. You've taken care of all your moral responsibilities. Now it's yours. Now you can enjoy it. God wants you to enjoy your wealth if you have wealth. God, if God gives you success, it's because he wants you to enjoy success, but only in the morally responsible way. And until you take care of your responsibilities, you can't enjoy it. But as soon as you can, as soon as you've taken care of your responsibilities, ah, geschmack. geschmack Let me go to the, the store and buy myself a nice piece of meat for Shabbos. Ah, because I can, I can do that now. I've used my money appropriately. Okay, now, that, my friends, is the idea of Tubashvat. I want to... Um, share a little idea how it connects to the Parsha. In terms of how does the Torah look at this whole financial thing, we've gone through that before. We said the Torah obviously believes in what we called moral capitalism. Interestingly, there's a verse in scripture that says, "Kilo <speaking in Hebrew> which means poverty will not end. Poverty will not end in the land which is not according to the communist ideals. According to the communist ideals, we're gonna get to this place where no one's poor. Torah says, no, that's that's not reality. There's actually a purpose for poor people in the world, right? There's a purpose for them and there's a purpose for other people. The purpose for poor people is that's maybe a suffering or a challenge that God is throwing them their their way because of something they've done. Maybe in my lifetime, I was insensitive to other people and I made them feel um, bankrupt and, unloved and uncared for and I made fun of them or whatever it is and now God says okay now you're going to feel what it feels like to be like uncared for and not important not successful or maybe I have done nothing wrong ever and God says your struggles through poverty are going to make you greater and if you look at most great people in history they had to have some incredibly deep struggle to get to where they are um so maybe God is just putting me through poverty so that I should struggle and struggle and struggle through it. And through that become much better on the other side. Maybe on the other side, I'll become wealthy and I'll be so much more sensitive to people who are poor because I know what it's like to struggle. Or maybe I'll never become wealthy financially, but being that I've struggled so much and I've had so much pain, I've had so much empathy towards others and I'll become an amazing, empathetic human being that I would not have been if I was just rich. You know, I I, I met somebody, uh, this goes back many years ago, on a trip to Israel, we did a... We did, a, um, a, uh, we did like a, one of these trips for young professionals to Israel. And there was a group that was not from our, there was a group from Detroit, and there was a group from outside of Detroit. And, and um, one of the people that was from outside of Detroit uh, was a, a woman who had been through, a, a young woman, and she had been, um, it like according to something that came up in conversation when, when she was um, sharing, she had been at one point, a extraordinarily beautiful woman. And then she had gone through a certain, um, finan- uh, not financial, a physical, um, situation. I'll just leave it at that where she was, you know, objectively not as beautiful as she was. And, and she recognized that. And someone asked her like, was there any difference in you as like the beautiful you and you as the average you, so to speak, or whatever it is. And she said, of course, she said, I'm so much nicer now. She said, I'm so much nicer now when I was like so beautiful, I used to walk around, you know, like I wouldn't give people the time of day. I thought of myself so highly and everyone would treat me so well. And like, I treated people poorly. And she said, now that I'm just average and I don't get all that attention, like I I actually, I'm just nicer to people. It was amazing to hear that from somebody's mouth, like to hear someone themselves saying like, this is my lived experience. I used to be extraordinarily beautiful. Now I'm not, I know that I'm not. And I know that I went through a physical challenge and whatever it was. And and I just recognize that of all the struggles, the one good thing that came out of it is I'm just much nicer of a person right now. So for whatever reason, God sees fit that there should be poor people in the world. Now, the reason why the poor people have to go through the poor, the, the nisayon of Oni, the challenge of poverty, we don't know. We don't know why any specific individual has to go through that challenge. But then there's also an importance in there being poor people in the world so that Other people can be givers. If you don't have poor people, how do you give? If everybody, if the government's giving everybody equally, then where's the giving? Where's the olam chesed yibane? Where's the world of kindness that God wanted to build in this world? It's important in the world that there be poor and there be rich. And obviously, we you know we daven, we pray that we should be rich and we should be able to be of the givers and not of the takers. But for whatever, for whatever reason, God in his wisdom set up the world that there will always be givers and receivers. And of course, a person can receive financial help from other people and provide emotional support to people. It doesn't mean we can all be givers. We all must be givers in some area of life. But the verse says straight out, there will always be poor people, which could have told you right away, Karl Marx, your whole philosophy is not going to work. You know why? Because the Torah says there will always be poor people. Now, and again, part of the importance of having poor people is the ability to give. In this week's Parsha, we read about we read about the manna. In this week's Torah portion, we read about the manna that was given to the Jewish people in the desert. It was a miraculous food. It tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. So you thought uh, turkey, turkey, um, roast turkey sandwich with stone ground mustard on seven grain bread. Mm, You ate it. Ah, roast turkey sandwich with stone ground mustard on seven grain bread. You thought double burger with fake cheese that tastes like real cheese with tomatoes, pickles, onion, lettuce on a brioche bun. Boom. It tasted like that, right? Whatever you tasted, whatever you wanted to taste, it tasted like, now, the question is, where were the poor people if everybody got manna? As a matter of fact, the Torah says straight out. The Torah says, Ha'ashir loyar be'ba'da loyimat. The Torah says, when it came time to collect the manna, everybody got the same amount. They all got one Omer, one Omer, one tenth of an Ephah. And if you collected a whole bunch more, you went and you filled up your basket with two Omer's. By the time you came home, miraculously, you only had one Omer. And if by mistake you didn't get the full Omer, when you got to your house, miraculously you had the Omer. So everybody had the same thing. How did anybody give to anybody else during that time? Where was the world of giving? Where's the Olam Chesed ibana during the time of the mana? It seems like only God was giving and humanity was cut off from its ability to give to each other. And the answer is my friends, that the rich guy can tell the poor guy what to think. Because the poor guy, in his dream of dreams, what does he have? Oh, you, wait, you're serious? this Monica taste like anything? Okay, I want, I want tomatoes, potatoes, more, more roasted potatoes. And I want um, potato chips. <laughs> like, because the poor people, that's all they had, right? They only had potatoes back in the day or whatever it was. Or maybe in his dream, you can think of boiled chicken. You know what I'm saying? Like boiled chicken. The rich guy calls him over and says, yeah, Uncle, come here, come here. Here's what I want you to say okay? What I want you to say is filet mignon. Yeah, I know. It's spelled filet mignon. I know. I know. Trust me. Just say, I want my, uh, my mana to taste like filet mignon with a, a uh, Bernays sauce, all right? Just say filet mignon and Bernays sauce. And the poor guy's like, okay, okay, hold on. takes his mana. He's like, I want it to taste like filet mignon with Bernays sauce. And he eats the mana. He's like, Oh oh, 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 oh my gosh, that's amazing. I didn't even know that kind of stuff existed. Wow, thank you. What other foods do you guys eat? Guys, like, hold on. Wait, you ready? Here we go, you ready? Say buttermilk waffles with uh, vanilla bean ice cream and organic maple syrup. Wait, what do I say? Yeah, yeah. buttermilk waffles. With vanilla bean ice cream on top and maple syrup. All right, all right, hold on a second. All right, you take it, the poor guy takes another piece of mana. He's like, I want it to taste like buttermilk waffles with, with, with vanilla bean ice cream and organic maple syrup on top. He's like, oh, ho, ho, ho. wow, this is amazing. So, the way that the rich people during the time of the mana were able to give to the poor was by expanding their palate. The poor people, what do they have? Boiled chicken? What was their whole menu their entire life? All they had was potatoes, boiled chicken, and then maybe you know some hard bread. And the rich people were able to tell them, expand your, expand your mind. There's so many other great foods to try. What's the lesson for us today? The lesson for us today is sometimes the greatest gift you can give somebody is by expanding their mind. Maybe in their life, they've had all the best foods in the world, but they've never had the joy of a good Torah class. And they don't even realize there's any value in it. And you say to them, hey, you know what? Why don't you hop on on Thursday afternoons at 12 o'clock? We have this great class with this Rabbi Burnham. Come on, you, you, you might enjoy it. And maybe the person goes on that first week and right after the class, they're like, oh, ho, ho! that was amazing. Wow, where, where were you hiding this rabbi until now? Or maybe not. And maybe you introduce them to a different rabbi. Or maybe you introduce them to an organization that they start volunteering for. They start volunteering at the food pantry to bag boxes to give out to people. And it just provides meaning to their lives. I know a teacher who used to teach in the inner cities of Cleveland. And she used to say, my job, more than to teach them history and math, is to expand their minds. Because in their minds, the greatest success is like, if I could drive an Escalade one day. you know, That's like, in their, like you say, what, what are your dreams, young man? I want to drive an Escalade. That's like, like their greatest dreams. Nah, you can do better than that. Dream big. Dream of one day opening your own business. Dream of one day giving employment to other people and giving other people economic opportunities and, and being successful in your community and contributing back. Don't dream of an escalade. Think big. So on this, tubishvat, when we are so deeply appreciative to God for all the good that he has given to us, When we made our commitment that we will make that best investment plan, which is to give the tithe, but also the whole idea is that when we give our tithe, we can enjoy our our stuff so much better because we've actually done the moral responsibilities in this moral capitalism system. And when we do that and we do it correctly, then we enjoy the fruits of our labor so much more. And then hopefully we share with other people and we expand other people's horizons and give them the ability to give and to, to live life to its fullest. And that is how we can live our best lives. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.